Malcolm Honline is executive vice chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations, joins us Fridays at this time for the weekly update here at JM in the AM. Mr. Honline, welcome back to JM in the AM. Uh, thank you. It's good to be with you, as always. I appreciate that. It's funny how even active, large communities that pay attention and that understand the importance both historically and today to vote it's funny how how they and in turn we still have not gotten the importance of these smaller local elections and while we as a community i think are viewed as a as one that uh, that comes out especially when it's a high profile election it's funny that so often it's the smaller or more local ones that could have a really big effect on our community. Isn't it interesting how we've never really adjusted to that? Well, I think it's it's true universally. It's not just our community, but we have a lot at stake, and the the tendency is to follow the general populace and not voting on these elections, right. when in fact, as you said, they become very important. And also people don't think about the fact that, you know, they... they tend to dismiss the significance, perhaps, of, an, of a local election, but that can be a stepping stone to Congress, to statewide election office, to, to many other things, and where they can have a direct impact on the quality of life. And we see the changes that are taking place in New York and other cities across the country that impact uh, our communities directly. I also find it funny when uh, there's a place on the ballot where it says, choose three, and there's three candidates. <laughs> you know, where a lot of the work uh, that has been done to get these people on the ballot and to obviously get them the position, often judgeships, is done way before election day. That's all done, you know, in a process that people could get involved with, but they've got to care enough to get involved. It, it, it's true, but maybe they count on the fact that most voters can't count to three. <laughs> realize that there's no choice there. That could be. Speaking of elections, what a segue, Mr. Honline. Speaking of elections, we go 6,000 miles away, where Yaakov Katz has an interesting article with the Jerusalem Post today and says that it is possible that the only man, uh, the only political figure who could save us from a third election would be Naftali Bennett. Now, honestly, I read the article and I still don't get the math. I still don't understand how Gantz with Bennett could pull this off. What do you think? Is this a possibility? Everything is a possibility right now. Bennett has actually taken center stage in the last few days by offering uh, to go into the opposition to to allowing uh, Netanyahu to beg off of all of the commitments he made uh, to him, Whether and yet we saw statements even after that saying that they would give uh, two ministries to to the right. I think he he you know he faded from the the press and after a very poor showing that he and Shaked had in the election, but right now he's playing a central role, and he is uh, if it's a deliberate ploy, it's being executed amazingly. If not, I'm not quite sure of the numbers either. And yeah, you know, by the way, I never even saw a number in that article that started with a six. I didn't see anything over sixty, so I, I really don't understand how it's working politically. Um, but the uh, and is there any other possibility? In other words, right now, is it true that that he is the last resort or the last hope before a third election is declared? Well, I think right now the prospects are not great for what will what 
is going to happen, but and avoiding a third election, which is uh, something the people of Israel do not want. They don't want to go through another three month period of campaigning and of um, you know the uncertainty that comes with not having a, a government. But uh, so, that, but there may not be a choice if if they can't reach an, any kind of an agreement. But I think in the last week, you may see. Uh, maneuverings that will enable them to come to some sort of an arrangement. We don't know how long it will last. The average government lasts about two and a half years. Right. Um, but the, I think the pressure will be on, and, and especially on Lieberman, because I think the wrath of the voters will be directed specifically at him. Uh, it could be it will be everybody else, too. And, and the big danger is, of course, that people don't show up for a third election within a year uh, or vote for a protest vote, which could distort the outcome also. Is there, is, there's nobody vacuuming where you are, is there? No. We, we're getting this really loud background noise. I'm not quite sure where, what it is. Um, is the, um, and is he any more likely now to uh, arrange for a deal and to give in, meaning Lieberman? Like, is Bennett pressuring it because of the, you know, the, the rumors swirling and Bennett's name being everywhere? Is there more pressure on Lieberman to come forward and try to make a deal? I think there's more pressure from uh, the voters and then than any other source. And, you know, I, it's very hard to, to decipher any time what Lieberman's ultimate objective is. I mean, clearly he wants to be Minister of Defense again, but, uh, you know, he talks about being in the opposition. He talks about not negotiating and his war with the Haredim, right. even though there are talk, uh, people who have said their talks are ongoing. So again, it's it's still in the stage of maneuvering because you have two weeks. But I think right after Thanksgiving is the time to start looking to see if a deal is emerging. Because it's just the, the whole thing doesn't make sense if they're really committed in some way, meaning Gantz and Netanyahu, to make some type of deal. I mean, it would be to their benefit to start acting that way. It would be to their benefit to start, you know, giving this message to the Israeli people that we're really heading in that direction. But and, they don't control it. That's the problem when you have all the small parties and others and Lapid clearly saying, uh, even publicly, that he's playing the bad cop. Um, so it's not it's, – it's, it's, it's exactly what they would like to be able to control the situation and make a deal. And they offer ministries, and Netanyahu offered many uh, to people to in his last government and this government. And, I mean, it could be the biggest government yet. Uh, he right now controls many ministries. I, th- I think he has four or five uh, ministries that are are hit that he is uh, filling right now. He just took over the ministry of diaspora affairs, and, um, and uh, you know the the number of, of ministers and all of that will be contingent on the negotiations and the promises that they make. So it's not just a numbers game. If Gantz and Netanyahu would say publicly they're ready to cooperate, you would. You would need all these individuals to cooperate to make the right deal or to make a deal that everybody would agree and to. And to get the ministries they want to right, walk exactly. off in the huff. Or that, it's interesting. It's a new, so that, that, that's a new level of negotiation that I, as a regular person out here, never really thought of. It's not just a numbers game and trying to form a coalition with two people or two leaders. You have to deal with all these you know, s- small deals that are part of the big deal. Exactly, and, you, and, and it's stuff that goes on you know, sort of in smoke-filled rooms. Um, the Israeli press does report on it, but we generally don't follow the day-to-day machinations. But um, 
uh, I, I know that he said uh, late last night that um, the uh, examinations of uh, that is uh, uh, Gantz, that looking at the at government alternatives. In, it has failed that they could not reach any kind of an agreement yet. Well, at least we know that uh, we don't have to we don't have to anticipate the creation of new minister positions because there's so many that Netanyahu is holding himself. There's enough to go around right now, or or <laughs> or do we need to create more minister yeah. positions? No, they they to, to put together a government, they're going to have to. You know, sometimes they consolidate ministries, and sometimes to satisfy a minister, they have to give him multiple assignments. Uh, when you need the uh, seats, so then they divide them up. So it's unpredictable at this stage exactly what kind of government would be. Uh, the miracle is that Israel functions well, that the economy is very strong, that uh, they continue, the prime minister continues to run the show, and, um, <laughs> you know, the, the security situation is the dominant situation. This is not manufactured about Iran. People have said to me, well, is this a ploy, you know, to get a government going to do this? The answer is no. This is real. And I think no government of Israel would responsibly utilize this issue uh, in, in a way that would be um, proven ultimately uh, false and then undermine people's uh, concern. And, and this is a real issue. Iran's capacity in the region continues to grow, that they expand their network in the in the area, even though they have uh, less money and uh, have, been, have had setbacks with the demonstrations that are going on, which are directed primarily at Iran, both in Iraq and in Lebanon. Uh, and the deal that was reached now in, in Yemen could be a, a turning point if it's, if it's built on properly. But at the same time, Iran continues to expand its capacity to, to uh, conduct war in, in across the region and using uh, the third parties. They were very clever in using this period of the last few years to build up this network of uh, whether it's Hezbollah, Hamas, the Houthis, etc., uh, the, the militias in, in Syria, Iraq, Lebanon, that um, can, can, you know, set the whole region uh, ablaze. Right. Let's go back for a second. What did the IAEA say this week that got a reaction from both Netanyahu and Pompeo? So the their topic uh, inspector Aparo told people in a in a closed meeting in Vienna on Wednesday that the that Iran is uh, evading the attempts for them to discover the source of uranium particles that it, Netanyahu warned about many months ago already but that they found uranium particles, both, both natural and man-made, uh, at a warehouse in Tehran. This was the site that Israel identified, and the, uh, this, these findings could open a, a new door and a, a new area of confrontation with Iran. And the IA has satellite photos showing this site uh, um, cleared out after the prime minister presented the documents right. that were smuggled out. So the the latest IEA report is very hard for Europeans to to ignore it when they're saying that the you know they they want to continue the JCPOA they want to uh, renew and yet here you see this blatant violation it's not it's not something that can be um, uh, covered up and they're spending you know uh, I think sixteen billion dollars on, on all the militias that they built up they are. 
devoting uh, clearly the, the announcements and the challenge to the West uh, that they're going to renew at Fordo the in, in, in completing and injecting uranium into over a thousand, I think it was a thousand and forty-four uh, IR six centrifuges. I know people don't know these are very advanced. It will mean that they can speed up the production, maybe thirty, forty times faster. Uh, and it's not just putting in one or two. You're talking about a cascade of, of more than a thousand. And they they go and publicly announce it. And this is the fourth stage of their backing off of the the agreement, the JCPOA. If you remember, they said they are indeed that they started research and development, that right. they went above 3.67 percent in enriched uranium uh, towards the goal of of getting to weapons grade. I mean, they they publicly proclaim it, and the Europeans continue to find excuses and saying they want the agreement. They're going to find themselves with Iran with a nuclear weapon, in, and all of a sudden turn around and say, well, how did this happen? We didn't know this was going on, when they know full well now for a long time that Iran is cheating, Iran is lying, and they and how do we know? Because they're telling us it, and they're challenging the West uh, about it. There is a um, when when it comes now to the uh, IAEA, so there is an, an intimidation factor here where I, Iran will not allow the inspectors in or will not allow the inspectors to specific places. Are there any inspections going on? There are some inspections, but they do not let them into. They did not let them into this facility. In fact, they arrested one of the IAEA inspectors and held her at the airport. Did release her, but. Uh, it's clearly a, a message of intimidation and, uh, and threatening um, the uh, other people who come, the inspectors who are coming there to who come periodically, and you know they can clean up a site, they can uh, activate uh, their their troops to go in, and 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 then they block. And we don't know how many places all that that have not been discovered. This was found because of Israel, because of the documents Israel got out. Right. There may be many others that we don't know. We did not see where the snapback sanctions that were supposed to respond to, to escalation on the part of Iran of the nuclear program. And the, the, it's imperative that the U.S. and Europe stand together, show the Iranians that they're not going to have a way out of this without full compliance, demanding the IAEA, which came out pretty strongly uh, uh, about the Iranian um, violations and and what is happening on the ground there uh and also it's worth repeat uh, worth reviewing even though we've discussed this before when when the president of the united states you know killed the iran deal let's use that expression so what essentially what uh took the place of uh, you know action against iran essentially the sanctions were were uh increased correct the sanctions mm-hmm. were either reinstated or increased. is that the issue that now the europeans are going through it sounds sort of like there's no more Iranian deal with the U.S. because of the Trump action, but but the deal is still in place when it comes to the EU. Is it's it, and that's and, and that's sort of like a really strange way to make a deal where you know some of the partners are in, some of the partners are out. But is that essentially what's going on right now? And and the EU is still hemming and hawing which direction to go in. They're still working towards compliance, even though there are these massive violations. But the French yesterday urged Iran to, to adhere to the deal. The Russians said that they should live up to it. 
but understand why they may not, meaning because of the United States provocations or something, that the uh, the Europeans are still throwing out a lifeline, which has proven to be meaningless. The offering the alternative to the sanctions, uh, which have limited their ability to use the uh, banking system, Western banking system, and they would create an index to, to replace it, and there hasn't been a single deal. We know that the funding and the financial backing for deals is not there for Europe companies and most are pulling out still of of Iran and, and all of that is irrelevant to Washington correct well it's relevant to Washington because if you're offering alternatives and the United States also gave waivers again to Russia China other countries mm-hmm. to be to be able to work with uh, Iranians on their on their civilian program, and they're saying, well, the justification is that this gives us eyes on the ground. We're able to see what they're doing. You know, otherwise we wouldn't, we might not know. We didn't know that uh, Ford O and, and, and the heavy water reactor at Iraq uh, are being reactivated when as part of the deal we were told that these places were inactivated and were, or were changed so dramatically, and now you see that they can just flip them around and use them for the installation of these more advanced centrifuges and and, and um, uh, the enrichment process. Remember that next year the arms embargo gets lifted in 2020. That's It's not the full thing, but this is the U.N. sanctions that limited it. And Russia, China, others will be there to sell them new weapons and to continue to supply them with weapons. And the uh, so the West has to come up with strategies that will deal with this situation immediately. They have failed till now to effectively um, do it, and they allowing the Iranians not to cooperate, not to be held to account, has sent the wrong messages in the region, and they're all scamp. The others are scampering around. Uh, UAE has warmed up some of its relations with Iran. I know that Iran sent messages through Kuwait to Bahrain and Saudi Arabia. Uh, I don't see a change on the part of Saudi Arabia right now. But, you know, if they lose confidence in the West, then they're going to say we're going to have to fend for ourselves and see what deals we have to make. I mean, basically, you, you, you've told us that Iran is going to be, you know, in a position, their strongest position, let's call it, uh, militarily or in terms of, you know, strength of, uh, of power uh, tomorrow. It's tomorrow already. I mean, we're, we're basically there for those who those who are waiting, you know, because this would take years or, you know, we'd get there down the road if we wouldn't uh, monitor Iran properly. We're basically there already at this point. And the hope is, though, that the demonstrations in Iraq, if you look at what what the people are demonstrating against, it's largely against Iran and its and its proxies in, in Lebanon as well. And, and there are uh, and, and it's Shiite populations, and remember that Iran is a Shiite country, that are the ones who are demonstrating. And the, uh, you know, not the Sunni population and, and others who are standing on the side, the Kurds, they're all watching this to see what what will become of it. And when Bani Sadr in, um, in Iraq and, and call, to, calls out the Iranians and, and urges people to demonstrate against them, these are are really significant, and we should be helping those forces inside Iraq, inside Iraq, inside Lebanon, elsewhere, to um, to make these protests uh, more meaningful. They they can't be Western protests, or or the Iranians will just dismiss it, and, and are clamping down already in in inhumane ways against the people in, involved in the um, in these in these demonstrations. But for Israel. The concern 
is uh, several fold. One, of course, that they can activate this network of third parties, Hezbollah in Lebanon, the Iranian militias in Syria, the Gaza, Hamas, and even more so Palestinian Islamic uh, Jihad, but also the danger that from Yemen they can shoot, they can fire rockets or send drones that will hit maybe Israeli shipping, maybe other targets. It's not so much um, Israel from there, but Israel from the Golan from the Golan, where they're saying the Al-Quds has a presence today, the Al-Quds forces that the, uh, that of the Iran Revolutionary Guard, that they can fire a Hezbollah with 150,000 missiles, tens of thousands in the south in, in Gaza. So for Israel, it is a, a unique set of circumstances that they have to be uh, concerned about. It's, I'll tell you, I mean, I, Israel's going to have to act. They're going to have to act unitarily, unilaterally. I mean, there's no, I don't think there's going to be any option the way things are going. Uh, and to what point are you going to allow Iran to, you know, to beef up their uh, capabilities? And then remember, you know, with, with the with the border wars that Israel has to worry about, you know, in two to three different places, if if you have Iran backing you, not just financially, but you know, with weaponry and God forbid, you know, a nuclear capability, it's a complete game changer in that region. There, there are so many potential um, breaches. That uh, what you're saying is exactly right, but it, but there are many more. I, I can't right. go right. through the all of them. But the... take Jordan. Right. I mean, Jordan is is you know I was always hanging by a thread. There were demonstrations there as well. Thank God. Now I think it's more quiet. But remember, that's a buffer from Iran right. going through Iraq and and getting right to the to the heart of the West Bank to get to the Jordan Valley. Yep. The uh, you know on so many fronts there can be problems at Faxad decides to give them full reign, and, and they're not inhibiting them right now in, in the north and, and from Lebanon. And the restraint is that they know the people in Lebanon don't want a war and, and are demonstrating against the Nasrallah and uh, the economic situation in both Iraq and, and um, Lebanon, the corruption. Uh, and now we're seeing that spread to also to the PA. It's America's one and only Jewish Moments in the Morning Radio program. Heard on listeners-sponsored digital radio, around the world, the web, and NachumSiegel.com, and the NachumSiegel Network, and, of course, on the beloved NSN app. Remember, you could sponsor part or all of AJMN broadcast. Go to fjbunity.org. You could do it in memory of somebody for someone's yard site, honor of somebody for someone's birthday, whatever the case may be. Go to fjbunity.org and click on Sponsorship Opportunities. Um... Uh, on the top right, and I thank everybody who supports us as we get close to the end of our 2019 campaign. Malcolm, your thoughts about this uh, Colorado arrest of somebody who was plotting a synagogue bombing. Your thoughts uh, hearing this story on the eve of the Kristallnacht commemoration. It's one of many, and it's a, a very serious issue. Because the um, this was another one of the plots that was uh, hatched, and uh, thank God they arrested this one. But it's um, you know the, the alerts that we keep telling people about it to look at the, at these. This is only one of many. These are coming from the alt right, not the left, uh, or the other sources of. Uh, where anti-Semitism and the threats have emerged. I think this is the 13th arrest since uh, Pittsburgh of uh, right-wing uh, alt, uh, right-wing or extremist um, uh, plots, and that means that we don't know how many more there are, how many more are being observed, and how many this one they got word of and, and acted against. Yep. 
And as I said, this time of year, we think of the Kristallnacht and the commemorations. And for people who think that we're far away from these types of episodes, and God forbid those types of episodes, they should think twice. They should think twice, and they should... I hope there will be commemorations, and especially the Shamas and Shul's people talk about it. You know, that it's a reminder at a time when we see resurgent anti-Semitism and Jew hatred. That the, the I attended an event last night at the Museum of Jewish Heritage where the Secretary General of the UN really spoke beautifully in an event George Klein organized, uh, where they blew the chauffeur, the one chauffeur known to have survived Auschwitz, and the reminder of of what took place there, how many people were killed on that night. Uh, 30,000, I think, were arrested and put in concentration camps. 400 were killed. But as you know, through our research, um, uh, 1,700 synagogues were destroyed just in Germany, not counting Austria or Sudetenland. And people said, well, they didn't know. We didn't uh, see it. We didn't uh, know what was going on. It's a lie. They already started killing Jews in the mid-30s. The concentration camps like Dachau and others existed already since the mid-30s. And, you know, it's human nature, I think, to protect and say, well, it won't get worse, it won't get worse. It does get worse when you don't address the cancer and, and, and go after it immediately. And all the resources of government have to be mobilized. Uh, and I think there are now 30 state, countrywide um, if, uh, you know, a special envoys on anti-Semitism. I mean, it's taken more seriously because it's really um, uh, recognized that this is growing and, and it's manifest everywhere around the world today. Not to minimize the, the event you spoke of, seriously not to minimize it, I'm certainly not doing anything but praising the Secretary General for participating, but uh, sometimes you, ha- you, you, you wish that when it comes to today, when it comes to today standing up for Israel, when it comes to today standing up for, you know, against anti-Semitism, et cetera, that the voice would be just as strong as the voice that's memorializing those who passed and, and were murdered years ago. Yeah, well, I'm tired of all the crocodile tears and the memorials for dead Jews. I want them to stand up for living Jews and a living Jewish state and assure the security and, and safety of both that state and of Jews and everywhere. Speaking of the U.N., what could you tell us about what happened to UNRWA this week? Well, the head of UNRWA stepped down. Uh, There are all sorts of charges of corruption and malpractices and mistakes, but we have long argued, and Israel has long made the case, that the the UNRWA is a corrupt place, that the uh, countless uh, millions that get poured into it uh, are misappropriated and uh, often go to support terrorists and other uh, activities. And these uh, credible allegations, as they were described, uh, including about the uh, the head of the agency, uh, Cameron Bull, who is a Swiss native, uh, I hope that this might lead to a real change in the agency and a real revamping of it. But uh, I think that that is a dream too far, especially when it comes to U.N. circumstances, but right now, because the United States suspended and cut later cut off all the funding, that put them under uh, additional pressure, and um, so the the services, it said, um, would not be available otherwise, and people don't want to see the agency collapse, because then the burden would also fall on Israel um, to take care of uh, the, the, the perpetual population that never diminishes. Is UNRWA money specifically for the for for the oh, pe- 
only Palestinians. That's this, it. Everybody else is handled by the High Commissioner for other refugees, for, and this is not a refugee population because they're already in the third or fourth generation, um, is handled by the uh, High Commissioner of Refugees. UNRWA only serves the Palestinians. So when, and this is where I'm, I'm confused, when, when uh, the Prime Minister of Israel is uh, having a debate with Washington about whether funds should be transferred to the PA. That's unrelated to U.N. money, correct? Yes, about the transfer of funds from the United States. Right, that's unrelated to the U.N. money. Yeah, we have cut off the funding basically over pay to slay. We cut back the funding and then have large, and, and the PA, Abbas, said he didn't want any of the money, so the United States cut off all the, I mean, is not transferring money uh, to them. And uh, the people pay the price. I mean, it's, it's this commitment, as has been true since the cre- creation of the PA, uh, that they siphon off a, a significant part of their budget to pay terrorists, whether in jails or their families, if they're mar- if they're killed, making martyrs out of all of them. And the um, uh, you know the, so the the people suffer because the services are denied. And they wanted to build a, a new hospital in Gaza, and it was the the Palestinian Authority that blocked it because they don't want Hamas to get the victory. Finally, is there any uh, resolution to the shakeup in the Lebanese government that has Hezbollah, is, is Hez, a week later, is Hezbollah more or less powerful than they were? They are more vulnerable now. There is more. The demonstrations are continuing despite the crackdown. I think Hezbollah is recognizing it and and being more careful. That that is one of the reasons why you don't see a hotter border with the, with Lebanon. I think, um, but the demonstrations against the corruption are continuing. And uh, I know the Iranians are worried. I saw that Soleimani went to Baghdad and try to uh, make deals and to to uh, support the prime minister and, get, and he, who was ready to resign, but they didn't let him. The um, prime minister in. Lebanon did resign. Uh, schools were closed. Banks were closed. I mean, this is affecting uh, the economy and the whole society there in a very serious way. And the, uh, they, they attacked the houses of some of the deputies, members of the parliament, who were tied to Hezbollah and the Shiite Amal. And they accused them of stealing the money, etc., the same uh, corruption charges. But, you know, this is, uh, quote, Arab Spring, again, re- being reflected in the region. It can spread. It's a concern that everybody has when these things take hold and, and become more popular. Or it can be really a game changer, and the West should be supporting the elements in the country that want to get rid of these dictators and the Iranian influence and to uh, and to get Europe and the United States to stand together against Iran and to show them that they're, they're either they start complying or they're they're done they're not going to comply but so there has to be a united front none of the none of the news sources are paying attention to this none I, it's, I mean and I'm talking about the you know the ones that call themselves credible news sources uh, or news distributors I mean we cannot get a story about these protest protests in Iran which you just described to us in this conversation how vital they are and how much they need to be supported and if there was some awareness here in the US maybe there'd be pressure to support them even more but we don't we don't hear a thing about it that that is true, and if people read dailyalert.org, and I'm sure some of the other uh, sites, and, uh, and that you you do get, you can get the news. Dailyalert.org is free um, that we publish every morning, but it has summary of news sources which do 
give some coverage to I it. I know. But you're quite and, right. If and you it's look a great at the mainstream source, American press. And Malcolm, I hate to make you the target of my frustration, but last night I watched the half-hour newscast that ABC News does. You know the famous right. evening news? If you saw the topics that they are covering, and and the time that they are wasting on on stuff. I mean, you know, I, I I do think it's cute when you know a father attends his his daughter's cheerleader game. But you know, maybe it's more important to discuss what's going on in the Middle East and the possibility of the world ending because of Iran's capability. You know what I mean? Like, it just it, no one's paying attention to this stuff. It's all. Fun. Uh, I agree, and you don't see the coverage of, for instance, what's happening in the Labor Party when the, the deputy uh, leader right. resigns over the anti-Semitism. Right, and that's a big that you story. you don't see the, 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 uh, a $9 billion deal signed by Cyprus and Israel, which can be a game-changer on gas extraction, but you, you don't read about Turkey you know, provocations against Cyprus on, on the energy front. The, the, um, that Israel, the Argaman, the head of the Shin Bet, said that they stopped 450 credible terror attacks were averted this year because of the technology, because of the cleverness, the, the good work of the security agencies. Right. That, you're right, it is very frustrating and and, and this issue of what's happening at Fordo and what's happening at um, Iraq, which gives the lie to the fact that the Iranians were ever in compliance, which shows that some of these things go back to 2003, that they have this infrastructure there, that this could threaten all of us. And, and you saw their ability against Saudi Arabia. That should have gotten everybody up on their hind legs, screaming, yelling, demonstrating. Yep. And the media largely ignores it. Yep. Very frustrating. I mean, for you, it must really be frustrating. You've been yelling about this for decades. So. Right. <laughs> so you, you should be more frustrated than anybody else. Um, well, we got to end with some good news. You ready for this? I went to the – I actually had the honor of emceeing the JCT dinner, and John Medford was the uh, was the keynote speaker. And, you know, he could be very entertaining in addition to being very informative. And he gives us – one of the statistics he quotes is that Israel uh, – that in Australia – uh, they had inve- a country of 25 million people had invested like 900 million dollars in. Uh, I'm not giving the exact statistics, but you, you get the point. And but Israelis, you know, where you have a country of eight nine million people, they invested 2.5 billion dollars or whatever it was. It was invested in the country, and then of course he talks about China and its relationship with Israel. And in China, you have X number of startups, and in Israel, where again the population compared to China, you know, you have even more. Than you have in China, so there is a an unbelievable revelation that we have to continue to uh, speak about, which is that seventy one years later, this unbelievable dream of the state of Israel and what it has become is so off the charts at this point. I was speaking the other day to somebody just reminiscing post the creation of the state of what it was like in the seventies and eighties when the economy was so bad, when we here in the United States had to worry so much about our friends and relatives in Israel for a variety of reasons, economy of course, economics, of course, being primary, I mean, number one, primary is security. And then of course, economics. And today it is so different. So I have to acknowledge that because I was so informed and entertained by his presentation. And if you look at the numbers that per capita Israel, I think, has the highest investment in R&D, that the number of startups is not diminishing. It continues to grow. The foreign investment is hitting record levels in, in Israel. The economy is soaring, even without a government. It's supposedly right. Although right. The, those ministries are there. But it is absolutely uh, true that there are remarkable stories 
And the the fact that uh, I think the UAE announced that they will welcome Israeli visitors and certainly people with Israeli stamps in their passports. Wow. There are so many changes that that don't even make a footnote, but are really reflective of of things that are happening and of the uh, day-to-day positive stuff that's going on between Israel and many of the countries in the region. But good news when it comes to Israel doesn't sell. They're not interested in it. And no matter how much we may try to, to get them to to uh, acknowledge it, at least. Uh, but I think that and, and, and they don't listen. Secretary Pompeo yesterday gave a very strong speech about Iran, very strong warnings. And again, it doesn't it makes a minor enough, uh, recognition of, of these realities. And the the story that this, that I try to paint and to to get people to understand what the significance of these demonstrations and how this is another earthquake going on in, in, in the Middle East and the possible ramifications uh, of this for the United States, for America's interests, let alone for for Israel and our other allies in the region. It, it is it, it, that's why people have to make the effort to know the facts, to listen to your show, to listen to to others, to, to read, and to know what is happening, because these are, are really consequential developments. And historic developments, and hard-to-believe developments, and we're living through it, and it's just remarkable sometimes. Uh, Malcolm, I thank you. Have a wonderful Shabbos. We'll speak again next week. Malcolm Honline is Executive Vice Chairman of the Conference of Presidents of Major American Jewish Organizations. He joins us Fridays with a weekly update here at JM and the AM.